Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You know, sometimes these toxic relationships, they happen at work. And whether you are an entrepreneur or whether you're working in the corporate setting, you are going to meet some of these hijackals, these relentlessly difficult, toxic people, and they're going to affect you. They're going to affect whether you want to go to work, but they may have a longer lasting effect. They may affect how you feel about yourself, how you look at a new job. They may scare you off. So I'm going to talk with my guest today about what happened to her. So stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. So welcome to Save Your Sanity. Today we're going to be talking about toxic relationships that happen in relationship to work. And my guest today is Michelle Parisa Wasik, and she's known as Michelle PW for those people who don't want to spend time making a mistake on her surname. So welcome to the program, Michelle. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, I'm excited too. We've known each other for years. We haven't spent much time in each other's physical presence, but we've certainly been in each other's general space for quite a while. And now we're both working on Podcast Magazine. So this is an exciting time. And we just had a great experience being off at the New Media Summit together as well. So I wanted to grab Michelle, get her to talk right away about what she told me, which is that early in life, you ran into a hijack call. So let me tell you a little bit about Michelle before I tell you about this. And here's what she'd like you to know. She is a best-selling, award-winning fiction and non-fiction author. On the fiction side, she writes psychological thrillers and mysteries and suspense books. And she has a popular book blog. So you can look that up. Uh, the notes at the bottom will give you all of the URLs. So remember to look at the show notes. If you happen to be in your car out for a jog right now, don't have to remember anything. It's all in the show notes for you. So on the nonfiction side, Michelle has written five books in the love-based business series that share how to sell more with love and build a solid, profitable business on a foundation of love. Doesn't that sound good? And in addition, she owns a copywriting and marketing company that has sold $50 million worth of products and services. So you want to go and check her out right away. That's michellepw.com. And Michelle only has one L. So remember that part too, michellepw.com. So back to you, Michelle. Tell us about this experience you had as a quite young woman. Yeah, and you know, when you were saying that, I also wanted to add um, that I maybe should have come on and talk about the, the toxic relationships in my psychological thriller. 
Why don't we talk about that a little later? Sure. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the definition of, of toxic relationships in fiction or psychological thrillers. Um, so basically, I was, I just graduated from college. Uh, so I was what? I was young. 22, 21, 22, that, that age. And, um, and it was over the summer. Was it over the, well, it was over the summer. Actually, I don't remember if it was right before. Yeah, it was, it was right after I graduated. It was over the summer. So it, and it was my first basically copywriting job and, um, and copywriting is writing promotional materials for business. So at the time, um, I was trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do, you know, I knew I wanted to write books, but you know, they don't pay you to write your first novel. So you need to do something while you're writing your first novel. So I thought I would um, get this, this job um, um, working. And, and, and this was quite a long time ago. Um, and I remember because I got paid $8 an hour. <laughs> so it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the first one. And it was, it was lower than I expected. So um, anyways, but, but we went in and the way she had it, you know, as an entrepreneur now looking, looking at this, I, 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 I see why things evolved the way they did because the, the, the business model she set up made no sense. I mean, it absolutely made no sense. She, she was basically set up to like never make any money really, unless she had a big cash cow, which she had at the time it was Chevron. Um, but they were actually in the middle of, of kind of moving out. So, um, so Chevron, so, so she, and the way the, the, and kind of explain the way she, so it wasn't set up properly from a, um, it just from an entrepreneurial standpoint, uh, which you'll understand with a minute. I mean, I don't, I don't see how you could possibly make any money that way. But the other thing is, is that it wasn't also wasn't set up from for, for to best serve creatives and writer, writers. And so to explain what's going on here, why I'm doing this. So um, we had about, it was about anywhere like three, like anywhere from two to four writers, including her in, in, in this, in this, that worked. So, you know, there was, a, I, well, yeah, around three, two, three, four, five writers, including her. And they are varying degrees of editors and, and stuff like that. And, and we, some were full-time, some were kind of a cross of, she called me a freelancer, by the way, too, which I wasn't. They found out later that tax ways, it didn't work. Cause I mean, I was working about 90 hours a week and I had to be there. And so, I mean, there's no way that was a freelance for at $8 an hour. So, so, so we had that too, but everybody had to, you write, you, you, you got a project and you wrote the project and then you had to send it around to every single other person in, in there and have them review it and make edits and send it back to you. And then you had to like put your ego aside and then make everybody's edits and then send it around again. So as you can imagine this, you know, on the surface, that seems good because it's like, oh, okay, you know, this work is going through a number of eyes and it's getting checked out and, and we're giving the client the very best work. But in practice, think about how this is so first off everybody has egos and there, and there was no editors we were all writers and there is no even though you as the person were kind of in charge you weren't really in charge because you had to you you couldn't just blanket say i'm not going to make your changes so um it was a very weird and 
and just developed a lot of ego and competition and just all this other stuff that was going on because it, so so none none nothing and it also everything took about five times longer because of that very thing so from a financial stand, standpoint it also made no sense so she, i mean i only worked i only managed there two months this was one of those jobs that uh friday you would cry because you had to go back to work on monday so, so. <laughs> well we never want to be in those positions um so an untenable system i get that this was not a usable system i love the point that there were no editors everybody is a writer i can do it yeah. better i can do it with my spin my voice is a little better than your voice let me do that so this could be the process that never ends <laughs> it is and that's exactly what it turned into it turned it was like only when the client was like i needed it that you finally just had to wrap something up and send it to them because i mean it right. really was never but complete. Tell us about this person. Was she a control freak? Was she, you know, what, what, what was so toxic about her? Yes. So she was a control freak. So, uh, and a perfectionist. So yeah, so we'll start there and, um, and manipulative. So one of the things, and so one of the things that happened in this, in this whole process, because, you know, obviously, even though she would throw her writing in to get edited and we would edit her writing, I'm not saying that that part she was actually a little bit okay on, but still there was this discrepancy with the whole, you know, you know, like her edits, obviously you felt like you had to give more and anyways, um, and even, and so, so that was, there was a gaslighting mm -hmm. that was going on because she was, you know, claiming that she was just one of the team, but she really wasn't one of the team. And so there was always a subtle manipulation going on that was doing it. But I think the more damaging part of this was the subtle manipulation where she caused us not to trust ourselves, or at least that's how it turned into me. Like, I know the main writer there who, uh, ended up she was she, she ended up leaving and she had she actually moved out of the city because she couldn't figure out she couldn't quit she couldn't figure out how to quit uh, without because Lori wouldn't let her go her name was Lori she wouldn't let her go um, and and she couldn't figure out how to quit so she actually left left the she actually moved away um, let and, me just stop there for a second because you bring up a really interesting dynamic you know yes this is a while ago but let's just listen to the language someone wouldn't let someone quit their job yeah well that's a very very fascinating dynamic because of course you can just walk out you can say stuff this and leave um so the person who felt they couldn't leave their job quote unquote was actually having dysfunction as well as yes. the toxic person who's staying no you can't go i mean whoever has the power to tell you you can't quit your job the only person who has that power is your family finances <laughs> so what do you think was going on that made it so that this dynamic could even exist that this person was she you know far too passive was what was going on so um i part of it was i think this dynamic okay so how it how it i, I think this probably was part i mean obviously i i, I wasn't in her head so I, I don't know exactly what it was but i can tell the pressures from me which was you she she cultivated this experience where you didn't want to let her down yeah. So it was that, so we had this whole, like, you know, she's doing all this for you, this very, mm -hmm. so there's this idea that we, you know, we couldn't, so that was part of it that, you know, it's like, she, you know, and every time, um, 
you know, the, the, the employee would go to her and try to try to change the, um, the, um, the, the dynamics, you know, she would, you know, even just her language. Well, here, okay, let, so let me continue a little. I'll tell you a little bit about me. And then like when I quit, I'll, I'll even explain. <laughs> so okay. this is how she, when I, when I, 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 she went out to lunch and I, she didn't know I was going to quit, but that, is, but I was trying to work my way up to it. And she started off the conversation by saying, I feel really, I feel really hurt by your actions. So that's how we started. Um, and, you know, I'm like 21. She's like in her thirties at least. And I am hurt by your actions. And then at which point I said, I got to quit. I'm going back to school, which I didn't actually go back to school. I kind of lied about that, but, um, I, but I was having the same issues trying to figure out how to go with and how to, how to break. I knew I had to. So what happened with me is I couldn't trust myself because I felt like, you know, I would write this stuff and turn it around and would come back so full of edits that I, I was very, I, I, I felt like I couldn't actually trust my, my inner, uh, my my inner judgment at all like I need I, like if and, and I actually got I actually didn't think I could you know I could freelance I could start my own business because I actually thought you know what am I going to do because I'm not going to have other people looking at my work in this situation and I can't send my work out like this because clearly it's it's always a mess when I send it around the you know the little editing chopping block so uh, what, but what finally started to shift for me is I still remember this. I had a good friend who worked for one of the companies and, um, and he, you know, and, and, and she was gone. She was actually at a, at a, at a an event and I was actually the only, I was, and then for, uh, this was after the employee finally left. And then there was one other person who had barely started and me. So I was the kind of senior person, even though, and so I was working, I worked on this project and then the, the client knew me and called me and I, and I said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll get it to you as soon as I can. And then I, I called her, I called, I called and I, I and I said, you know, I think we had cell phones. We barely she had. I think yeah, we did. We had those, we had those big bag phones. Um, and she was, of course, jumping out. And we didn't have tax, so she was jumping out. It was like a big pain. Anyway, so I think I had to fax it to her. It was, it was a huge. So she, um, I did fax it to her, or whatever, however we were doing it back then. And she made some changes, and she told me on the phone. I made the changes, and she said it was fine. And then the client wanted it, and the client was really putting pressure on me to have it because, like I said, you know, everything would get weighted to the minute. And so I, e I did email it over to him. And then he called me back, and he said, and the, I remember, I still remember this. The first thing he said was, this is good. And then he had a couple tweaks. So I made the couple tweaks, and all was well. Well, two hours later, I get a frantic phone call from her where she, I guess she hadn't really looked at it. And she finally did look at it. And she was like, you didn't send it to the client. And I said, well, yeah, I actually sent it to the client. And it was, he, he said it was fine. It's not fine. And she just tore the thing apart. I had to completely redo it. And then she made me, you know, this was kind of humiliating. She made me resend it to him. And it's like, mm -hmm. with like, this is what it was supposed to be, not whatever I sent. But the interesting thing about this whole situation was, and I talked to him about it later, because like I said, we were friends, we were friends before this. And um, it, it was, 
it actually gave me a lot of trust in myself because the thing is, is that, you know, I sent it to her. I thought it was fine. You know, she, she had very little changes initially. That was maybe that was part of the problem. So, and I was surprised at how few changes she had. And then the client was fine. Everything was fine until she freaked out. And so I thought maybe this isn't as, as dire or as much of an issue as she is making it out to me. And it was probably like a week or two later that I finally, you know, got up the nerve to say, you know, this is it. I'm done. Well, <clears throat> this is a story that maybe you're listening to and hearing, wow, that's happened to me. Or I've had those feelings or I've had that person that was, you know, sort of she or he who will not be pleased. Uh, <clears throat> that you mentioned earlier that the person was a bit of a perfectionist and a control freak. So when we're working for somebody who is a hijackal, uh, which is something that, you know, everybody listening is really familiar with, Michelle, um, <clears throat> they are dedicated to always being the one who wins. So they have to be right every moment. So when they feel that they're not in control, then they make you wrong so they can be right. And it is an endless cycle. So I'm so glad that you found some confidence in what you've done by being in this very difficult situation. And you could take that on with you to a new position. I'm sure that she churned through many, many, many people during her time of doing what this is all about. <clears throat> and I apologize for my voice today, but I have had some issues. I think there are issues in the world right now. I do not have those <laughs> issues. I have simply been losing my voice. So <clears throat> if it doesn't sound like me today, it is. Okay. So Writing is a really interesting thing. You've written all these books. I've written 16 books. Sometimes you can get stopped in your tracks, just totally turned off, turned around, second-guessing yourself, questioning your material, questioning your ideas, questioning your ability. And then you have somebody. Now, whether it's not writing or not, it could be in anything, so everybody can relate to this, but you have somebody who starts telling you, you're not good enough, you don't do it right, how dare you do it on your own, you need me, if you don't do it my way, I am going to shame or blame you, and these things build up. So what was your, your takeaway from this toxic situation to move away from it? How long did it take you to recover, for instance? So I, it took me, it, it, it took me years actually to recover because even though I got out of it, like I said, the whole thing was, I think it was about two months mm -hmm. and, um, and I, you know, I was able to, to kind of get out, but my, the, the, it took me a long time to really get around to trusting myself. And so I think that was part of it because I, you know, I still yeah. had that little voice that was like, you know, it's not very good. It's not this, it's not that. So, um, so that part was, that part took a long time. And then the other damage to it was, you know, I mean, to write a fiction book, well, to write any book, quite honestly, but especially fiction, nonfiction, you know, when people read nonfiction books, I mean, they're, they're reading it for the information, not that, I mean, it still has to be well-written, so don't get me wrong, but nonfiction book um, are, you know, people are reading it to get the information inside. So you can rely, you, you can rely, if your information is good, the, the writing faults are kind of secondary. Mm -hmm. But with fiction, 
you know, the story and the writing out, I mean, there are some famous, like, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey is one that comes to mind where she's a pretty terrible writer. Um, but it, it, you know, it's a very popular, it's a very successful book. Um, but so if you have a really, really strong story, again, you can get away with it. And a lot but, of sex. Or a lot of sex, or or you really tap into something <laughs> that 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 is that's getting people. So obviously, you know that it, there's there's obviously exceptions there too. But you need an awful lot of ego to really pull yourself through a fiction book. Um, it's also longer, so it takes longer to do that. And so, I that was part of what um, it it caused me um, to really second guess myself and to really and really it was it was one of the the and, and, it was, and you know, it's one of the, probably one of the excuses that I use to keep myself from finally sitting down and writing my fiction book. So mm. and that was part of it as well. Yeah, let's jump on that because again, we can generalize this to anybody who's been in a work yeah. situation. When somebody causes you to second guess yourself, even if you're not working with them, maybe you're dating them or you're married to them, and they cause you to second guess yourself, they'll they'll jump all over that. They'll drill down. Oh, I found a weak spot. And they will weaponize that. Can I make you question yourself more? Can I make you uncertain? And for them, it's sort of, ah, ha, ha, I have power over you now. And you know what you were saying, Michelle, about how you only worked there two months, but it took you years to recover. That's the kind of thing. I mean, that is toxic blame and shame you know and it just gets into the pores of your body doesn't it like you start like there's this little question all the time yeah you really internalize it and um in, in that yes because that that whole circular thing and what she's doing and you know, looking back on her now, I didn't know her that well. It was only two months. And I don't know. And, I, and this is probably something you tell in the show, too, because I suspect that she would be somebody who would be horrified if she actually heard this. I, 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 you know, she heard this podcast. I don't think she ever meant for that to be. So in some respects, I almost think she was more, I don't know if I want to say dangerous, because she was like, I think she was an unknowing person that crazed, that that was part of this whole I don't, I don't think she really, I don't think it was a conscious thing that she was actually using to do. That's one of the things that I, when I was thinking about this podcast. And in some respects, because of that, I think it was more dangerous because I think she really felt like she was a, a I think she thinks now she, you know, she was a, a good person and she was, you know, but she didn't, she, she couldn't see beyond herself. Well, you see, you bring up something very pertinent to the hijackal experience, which is, you're giving them her the benefit of the doubt. You're second guessing oh, her. You know, you're stepping back and saying, "Well, I don't, I don't want to paint her in a bad light. I don't think she meant that." Oh, because you wouldn't have meant it. You wouldn't have done it on purpose. Now we don't know. You could be exactly yeah. right, but from the whole hijackal experience, good and mostly healthy people give other people the benefit of the doubt go the extra mile understand say they must have been under stress they didn't understand what was going on we need to have leniency we're all human aren't we you know we get into that whole thing and then there we are and we're we're worn down to a nub and they're still there doing their thing and being all, uh, I'm fine. I don't see any problems here. What's wrong with you? And so this is why I wanted to 
have this conversation with you because you're, we're going to talk about how that affects you as a writer in a, in a moment, but how it affects us as a person to to be a young person in a new career and then to have someone who can just turn us inside out and start us to second guess ourselves sets us on a path that does have an impact on everything we do from then on. What do you think the impact was that when you went to your next situation, your next job, what did you take with you there? So I think I, I, I had two reactions that I swung between them, and you probably are familiar with that, where one reaction would be just this like, you know, you know, shrinking down completely, like not, you know, that's kind of like what happened with the fiction writing, where I just didn't write at all, because I was so afraid of failing. So there was that, that part of like not afraid of failure, but then I would also, there would be times where I would swing way the other way and I wouldn't uh, want any, like I, I would just flat out not want any suggestions for edits or, you know, just tell people, you know, you know, almost like an arrogant thing. So I swung wildly between two poles. I wasn't in the arrogant one a lot. That's not really my personality. You probably see, see that, but you know, it, it didn't show up though. So the thing mm -hmm. is, is there were, there were moments that I can think of where I didn't handle things as well as I should have, because I was in that, that flip side, almost like that overprotection side. So I think those were probably the two ways, the two dysfunctional ways it, it acted out for me before, you know, I was able to, to, you know, take a lot of, um, you know, move, move past all of that and start to just, and, and, and really, you know, I guess from the time and whatever to, to really, yeah, I guess, move, you know, heal what, what happened. Well, hearing those two poles, those polar opposites that you're talking about, is anybody, am I ever going to write a good word again? And how dare you question the words <laughs> that I've written? Um, <clears throat> that's pretty normal because you are, you are having such an internal conversation that it's going to come out in those ways. And as you said, you know, that, that is quite common. More people are going to go for the first one. <laughs> They're going to, to um, crawl away with their tail between their legs and say, will I ever live to rise again? Uh, should I be in this profession at all? You know, am I going to meet another hijack call? Is there going to be another toxic situation? Do I really ever want to get out and take the covers from over my head again um, because it's a natural reaction especially when you're young like you said you know very very different times so let's just talk about the writing part because I think you're you're very unique I haven't had a guest on who is really focused on writing many people are focused on a career that they support by putting their words on the page. But this is something that you do as a major focus. So it's a lonely activity. It's an <laughs> something you have to spend a lot of time with yourself doing. So <clears throat> you needed to heal from this in order to be able to write that fiction. What did you take yourself through in order to do that? So part of what, so I do want to address what you said about the other, the flip side, the arrogance side. And I think for me, because you're right, uh, if I, if I, if this didn't happen in a writing situation, I probably would have just walked away and not flipped over. But I taught myself to read when I was three years old. So, yeah, I mean, so walking away from writing was really never an option. It was just a matter of 
how what needed to happen to work through it. So journal so the beauty about writing is of course it's a it's a wonderful self-help tool to help move through it so you know so i did do journaling i did do things like that to, to kind of help move some of the energy through um and you know and part of this too is that i, I think that i know for some for some of your listeners you know if you may have because this is what happened to me as much as i wanted the um you know as much as i am a writer it really was an option to walk away but that's part of the whole fiction thing where I would, um, I had a toxic relationship with, with the, you know, some of that showed up with myself with that, with that. And that was the whole swinging between, um, you know, if it's, if it's not good enough, I'm not even going to do a first draft. Well, if you can't do a first draft, I mean, every, you know, we editing, editing is part of writing. So if you, if you don't get anything down, there's nothing you can do. So, but I know for so many of you, you know, you, you let that voice in your head that's telling you, you know, good and packed, you being able to put words on the page. And that's, that's the real issue, I think. And so as much as you can, like what I had to do is really, um, take the pressure off of me. And I mean, and I, I, I there's probably more healthier ways I could have done it, but, and, and, it, and it did take longer, but a lot of it was the journaling and taking the pressure off and just like, just getting something done, you know, and moving forward and just, and just keep coming back to it and keep circling back. So that's really how I had to move through it. Well, that's interesting. You know, I had to learn copywriting and I didn't learn to do it really well, but I took some classes and I remember that one maxim was better written than write. And I thought, okay, I can run with that one. Like get it on the page, start manipulating the language, start doing that. So I hear that and what you're saying. (laughs) Okay. All right. I will be brave and put black on that white page. (laughs) Yeah. Even if it's just like, I don't know what to write. I mean, I've gotten to the point now where you just start typing because even if you just write, I don't know what to write over and over and over again, I guarantee you somewhere in that typing, something else will start to emerge, but you just got to start the momentum somewhere. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what I find is that I let my mind go fuzzy. Like yeah. I will just sit and go, all right, take, take me where you will, you know? And I just let my mind go all, yeah. all fuzzy. And I just, just like when you're going to sleep, you know, you just defocus your mind. And then, you know, all of a sudden there's a thread or a story or a piece or something that pops in and, okay, now we have somewhere to go. Um, I do that because I do so many videos and I write so many articles and, and of course, podcasts. So I will just let my mind work on something and then I'll come running in here and I'll write down, you know, 10 words and then I'll go off and do the dishes and over there (laughs) and the mind will work for you. If you don't sit there going, I've got to write, I've got to write, I've got to write. So I understand what you're saying. And there are those times when you don't have anything to write about particularly, but you want to write maybe you have a deadline or maybe you have have a topic but you don't know where to start and i think you were referring to first drafts sometimes when i write a first draft i wrote chapter eight before i wrote chapter one 
Yes, that's the other thing too. You know, you don't have to write it in order. You can you can start in the middle. You, in fact, um, the person who wrote the Twilight book, that's exactly how she wrote the first Twilight book. She started in the middle of the book and wrote to the end, and then she started from the beginning and wrote to the middle, kind of knit the two together. So there is no saying that you have to start at the beginning or you can start at the end. I think that was what Nicholas Sparks did. I think his first book, he wanted to make sure he could write a good end before he wrote the book. So he wrote the <laughs> end first. So, because he knew that if you if you have a good end, people will. If you if you start a book, well, your your introduction is what's going to get people to buy it. The way you end it is going to get people to buy the next book. So, um, so that's something that so you can you can really there's just a lot of ways to go about it. And I think the the biggest thing though is to really just at least for, is like to honor where you're at. Cause I mean, it's not like, it's, you know, we start off, you know, it's not easy anyways to write. And so when you're, and when you're facing that, when you had that, that, that inner critic, that's just, you know, bickering at you and yelling at you and calling you names, it's, it can be really, really hard to move through that and actually write. So whatever you, you can do to, to silence the critic and just write, start writing down what the critic is saying, just anything that you can start to move, you know, to, to do that. Um, one of the things that I saw was, one of the things that I learned is that if you do anything for 12 minutes, you'll keep doing it. Mm. So, yeah, that's why a lot of times, you know, set a, setting a timer for 15 minutes is really good. And then say, if you're done, you're done. Because like if you're actually, and this includes exercising too, but there's something that happens between minute 10 and minute 12, where your brain will kick in. And a lot of times you'll keep going and you'll, you'll blow past the 15 minutes, but you have to keep, you have to pass that 12 minutes because between zero and 12 minutes, your brain is saying, I don't want to do this. I'm tired. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to write. I don't want to do this. So, but if you push past that and get past that, then, then the momentum will take over and the flow will take over. And you're like, yeah, I can keep going. And the, now the trick to this is that don't count on it. So really <laughs> set the timer and tell yourself if you're really done at 15 minutes, then you're really done at 15 minutes because you, you're not going to believe yourself and you'll never get started if you don't stop on those days that you're like, I can't do it. Uh, but you'll find, you'll be pleasantly surprised how many times you'll keep push through it. So I would say, 15 minute blocks of time and we can all fit in a 15 minute block of time somewhere over our lunch hour before bed. And just, even if you're writing over and over again, I don't know what to write for 15 minutes. That's might be the first step, just the first step to get things going. Mm -hmm. Well, those are good tips for all of us. <clears throat> I'm going to see if it works on cleaning my garage. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I it does. We'll check in with me on that. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> I just want to end our time together by saying, what do you think the major positive you took from that experience in that early job in your career? What is the major thing that it gave you? So the first major thing that it gave me I, was it that I did actually learn to trust myself, which I know, it, you know, because I, I, at that moment, you know, when the, when I talked to the client and he said everything was fine and then she called back in a, in a tizzy. And I just remember feeling like you, that, that, that little kernel that was very deep inside me, the voice was small 
And like I said, and it got buried because I mean, it did take years to heal, but it was there. I found it. I found my true self for that moment. And, and I was able to over time create and develop that relationship. So um, I don't know if it would have, it would have popped up um, other than, you know, find it, that, that moment was when it, it did. And, and, and I was able to, you know, strengthen that relationship. So that part was really good. That is really good. So <clears throat> no matter what experiences we've had, one of the important things for us all to ask ourselves is, what can I take away from that that actually improved my life? And we have a new segment on Save Your Sanity where I'm asking each of my guests to do a separate recording. And they're going to talk about the three most significant things that they were impacted by from having their toxic situations. And these will be offered as bonus episodes. So watch for those coming up. And so I want to thank you so much for being with us. You have a gift for everybody, especially for the writers in the group or the would-be writers or the ones who've been stimulated today to think, I have a story. I could write that down. And Michelle has a writing toolkit. And you can find that at lovebasedbiz.com com and that's love based b-a-s-e-d b-i-z or z depending on where you live dot com love based biz dot com thank you so much for being my guest today michelle Thank you so much for having me. Exciting thing to talk about. We're going to be doing more and more diverse things here as we drive down into how to save your sanity. There can be so many impacts that you might not have thought of. And we're going to go into all the cracks and crevices where all the little tentacles have been wrapped around people's souls and find ways to shed light on those. So stay tuned. So glad you were here today. Take care. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast and my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.